0: practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box.
1: Hi, welcome to this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. I'm Sarah Box, your host, and also the owner and founder of Sarah Box Coaching and Consulting an organization where I help people with big dreams who are overextended at work and home, regain time, reduce stress, and live and work with clarity and intention. I'm excited to introduce you to today's podcast guest, Ken Fay. People who know me well will say, I think there's someone you need to meet. And if it's someone I know well and they, they offer that up, I'm thinking, okay, I'm trusting that they know, they can see a connection. Well, this was one of those right on the money. Connections. Um, So, shout out to my pal, Ann Carton, for making the connection. But when I, when Ken and I first talked, there was just like this energy connection and an alignment about approach to living in life. We have traveled very different paths. So, what's exciting for me about introducing you to Ken is just in our earlier conversations, I learned so much, so much of value that I know that you as the audience is gonna love learning about Ken and his view on how he engages in the world. So let me just tell you a little bit about him. Ken's what he describes as a creative, an artist and a storyteller. He said that by nature, that's who he is and what he does. But he did receive an Emmy for a documentary that he produced in the aftermath of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shootings. Now, Sandy Hook is in Newtown, Connecticut, and that's where Ken is from originally. That's his community. So it had a very personal connection to him. Um, however, he has worked all over North America and in Asia. He's a has been and is a senior producer. He's worked for mega corporations, regardless of title. What he does is he's able to turn the lens to help us the viewers see it from a much different perspective. I'd say that's kind of like Ken's gift, that and being able to tell the story behind the story. Right now, he's working on a number of projects. One of them that I find interesting is a documentary called My Road Leads Home. And that's a series he's doing on homelessness. We're gonna talk about in today's episode, we're gonna talk about though, a lot of his frontline volunteer work, why he's done it and how it has Changed his life, actually. You know, I I mentioned that he did work around the documentary in Newtown, but that also opened up a whole door for him of volunteer work and specifically working as a disaster response canine handler. So, you know, think about it disaster response, those are the times where people are suffering the most and need people to to basically validate, see them, and help them heal. So Ken's deployed both in his hometown, he's been part of that, but he also went to Boston, Massachusetts after the marathon bombings. He was in Texas um, after the hurricane if you remember Hurricane Harvey and the mass devastation that that wreaked and the loss of property and life and then more recently he was at the Route 91 Harvest Music Festival in the aftermath of that mass shooting you know the thing that i think about is like i always wonder so why does someone do that and Ken says that, you know, a couple of things that compel him personally and professionally is that he just truly believes in his heart of hearts that everyone has a story to tell and they have a voice that needs to be heard. And Ken is in the position to help people do both of those things, tell their story and be heard. So that's what he does. He does that professionally and he does that just naturally. He's just kind of one of those people who listens for the story behind the story and he pays attention to what is really being said. So anyway, now with that, I want to welcome our guest today, Ken Fay. So, hey, Ken.
2: Hey, Sarah. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Good to talk to you, Sarah.
1: Well, it's fun to have you. I know that I'm in, I'm anticipating some of the turns our conversational um, take just from knowing how conversations with you go as a creative. But before we get started, the one question I really like to ask everybody to share is whether or not they have a non-negotiable or a ritual or practice they do consistently that keeps them heading toward their big vision keeps them on track
2: that's a great question you know for me i'm going to think it's every morning when i get up i Go outside. I want to be in nature. No matter what the weather is, it doesn't matter, right? Because we come from this dreamscape where we're sleeping. And you know, there's a whole world of narratives happening in your head when you're asleep. And when you wake up, you want to refresh and re-energize and get ready for the day. So being a visual storyteller, I head outside and I look for where the light's falling on the trees. I watch, I listen for the birds, and I, I just, I really just kind of get into nature. So I take a nice little hike around the area that I'm living in and just breathe it all in. And then just focus on that. And that kind of sets a tone for my day. And honestly, I've done that wherever I've been. So it doesn't matter where you are. That's your start. How long are you out doing that? You know, it, it could be as little as 15 minutes. I've been out there as long as an hour. Um, but you find and an you, on an your journeying back to your your home base or your work site, what have you, your mind is already thinking about the day and how to create the next solution. You know, it's it's adapting your environment around you, taking some inspiration from that, you know, whether it be the light or the sunlight falling on your face, whatever it is, it just wakes you up into the day. And you take that with you into your challenges, and then that just opens up and refreshes your mind to hit the next challenge and the next challenge. Because the, the, our whole life is just made of those moments. We can't breathe the breath we just have. We can't breathe the breath in front of us. We can only breathe the breath we have right now. And so it's just taking in the moment, being in the moment, and then cycling that forward into whatever the project is.
1: Okay, I'm with you on that. Now, this is, this is contrary to that because I'm actually asking you to go back to a previous moment, you know, six years ago, I just want to know sure. what was it like to sit next to Spock, the Spock Leonard and Nimoy, and hear your name called as an Emmy winner. Can you talk about that?
2: Wow. Yeah. That that you know, it, it that story is a story that involves a golden retriever, it involves an Emmy statue, it involves a red carpet, it involves um, uh, a lot of pain, it involves a lot of working through something and it really is a moment that was the hardest thing for me to do, but to get to that specific moment where I, my name is called up for an Emmy and I look over and there's Leonard Nimoy and he goes, that's you is, Oh oh my goodness. So, you know, for that one moment, Oh my good, the joy, I'm a huge sci-fi fan. All right. A huge Trekkie. Right. So that was just icing on the cake for all that. And so I get up and we, you know, we do the, the Vulcan Uh, sign back and forth and stuff. And I I go up to stage and oh my goodness, there I am. And there's this whole crowd of people and I am standing there. That Emmy was for winning for a series that I produced called Wags and Tails. And Wags and Tails has everything to do with Newtown, everything to do with the Sandy Hook shootings. And honestly, it's everything to do with the healing that I was witnessing in my own community. It was a hard story to tell. Definitely a difficult story.
1: Let's talk about that story, Ken, if you're open to that, because you know, sometimes people think about wow, well, the the real moment was like getting the Emmy. But it sounds like the moments, the many thousands of moments that led up to the Emmy really were moments of transformation, not only in the communities you
2: were in, but in yourself on that journey. Oh, absolutely. That really well said. That that moment of the Emmy is like if you were watching a film and you saw the that moment at the end that hooks you in and watch the movie. And then you kind of flash back and see how it all came together to that one specific moment. That's exactly what this was like. So Newtown is my home community. And on that Friday, you know, everyone, the whole world heard the news of what happened at Sandy Hook elementary school and everyone was fr- frozen, shocked, awed, uh, torn apart. And obviously that's my home community. You know, I know those places, those faces, those spaces, those names. And so, I found myself in a place of like everyone else where the world just kind of collapses around you. You know, you're in the maelstrom of the storm, right? You can't see outside that storm. You're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. And all this news is flooding in. Well, on two days later, these golden retrievers and their teams and their handlers, they show up, they show up in town and there's these, now the whole, the whole world was coming into new town. It felt like at that point, right? It was right around Christmas time, if you remember. And, it was a Christmas that wasn't for us. And it was just an incredible time of, of pain and hurt. But then I look up and I I go to a church service on a Sunday morning and there's these golden retrievers and they're welcoming everyone there. And they're just silent and they're beautiful. And the people are so warm and friendly and embracing. And it makes you kind of go, huh? It's almost like you're in a dream state. And these folks were there and they were there to hold our hands. They were there to talk with us. They were there just to listen, just to listen. And that, is huge. As I say to you before, everyone has a voice. If someone's in front of you saying, Here, I am here, I'm here to listen for you. Go ahead, you're safe here. Oh my goodness. So the the feelings we're emoting, what we were feeling, the tears, the anger, all that stuff wraps around. Well, these dogs were from Lutheran church charities and it's an organization that gets deployed to disasters and national tragedies like this. They're comfort dogs. It's a it's they bring hope and healing and there's something about the innocence of a dog at the end, that's just a golden retriever, right? With a big smile on their face, right? I mean, there's something about that that just kind of lifts your heart for a second. And they brought a puppy with them as well named Isaiah. Just beautiful. So, it, 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 so this narrative is way more than just Leonard Nimoy. It's also about this journey through pain. As that, those weeks started to move forward, I was becoming a more, of a, more of a liaison for this group in our community. And I ended up, along with another uh, person, uh, Kathy Rice, uh, becoming top dogs, co-top dogs, to help run that organization, that ministry, uh, that, that, that organization, through the course of the coming months. But to get there, we had to go through all of that pain and hurt and healing. Well, what happened at the same time a few months later, I was asked to do a story, you know, with Comcast and NBC Universal to do a story um, and something about Newtown, something that would connect, right? Something that would be, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, how do you tell a story like that? You live there, you know there, you know the streets, you know the feelings. How do you tell that story? So I'm like, I don't know how to tell this story. I racked my brain. I talked to people about it. I, I, I just took those walks in nature. How, how do I tell this? story when the whole world was already on that town and already telling those stories i realized at that point what was reacting what i was seeing in my everyday was the healing was the moment of connection with these dogs that's when i went ding that's the story behind the story that's the story that will resonate and and put inspiration and hope into someone else so i decided to tell a story about the dogs and seeing the tragedy through their eyes um, and seeing how they were reacting to our community and what we were doing as a team, coming together to learn how to handle these, these magnificent creatures and, and go do this kind of work. So I did wags and tails. Now, the reason I call it wags and tails, it kind of sounds kiddy, like a little children's program, because it is. I wanted to make it something that would resonate in memory of the children that we lost that day. And deeper than that, it was the innocence that we all lost that day. I mean, these are kindergartners. These are little, tiny children. And we all lost an innocence and a sense of safety. It was just something that just struck me so powerfully at that time. So I made this like a, a, a children's program. So I had a, a puppet made, a little Muppet puppet um, by a good friend named Jeremy Heil, who performed the puppet for me, like, a like a, you know, in the studio, named Wags and the tales is t-a-l-e-s like a story a storytelling right so wags and tails now even more of a blessing on all of this is my brother mike fay was my director of photography for this i had to work with i got the chance to work with my brother right how and most people are like i don't want to work with my siblings i had a chance to work with my brother on this project oh my goodness so he and i in a small little team went out into Newtown, and we started. Inter- I started interviewing the people that I knew and, and getting beauty shots of the dogs and the community we were in and, and just talking to people about what this was for them. Why did we have all these golden retrievers suddenly? What did this mean to the town? And through that telling, it ended up being a mini documentary that I put together, and I used WAGs as a little, I call him a vehicle, you know, in the storyline. He's a little guy that pops up, tells you a few facts, pops down again. And I had this whole thing wrapped around this kind of feel because I wanted it to be shown for all ages. I didn't want to breast down the tragedy. I touch on it, but then I jump away from it. I wanted to t- touch on healing. And so I put this piece out. We get it all done. We get it done. We send it out. And then a few weeks later, nominated for an Emmy Award in the children's category. Oh, my goodness. All right. So there's that. And then a few weeks after that, there I am sitting with Leonard Nimoy. And then that's when the names and that's and everything just kind of just kind of wrapped itself around it, and so that video though is the important part. That storytelling, that that those that memory, uh, the healing of it all. That video has been shown all over the country. It's been shown to organizations that are trying to explain tragedies. It's been shown shown by organizations that are trying to help their own communities through tragedy. It's been shown to organizations that are considering getting one of these dogs themselves to go do and help that is all happening. In the middle of that production, the Boston bombs went off. The marathon bombing happened. So while I'm telling this story in my own town, this event happens in this Boston, which is nearby, you know, of Connecticut, right? Of course. So I have to wrap that into this story. So then I had to do some quick thinking, like you would as a creative, and I put that story into this story. So it's much bigger than just this. It's everything, every tragedy we have is wrapped up and a loss of innocence, and a loss of, of security, in and in, in all these things. But then this also goes back to looking for the helpers that show up. You know, Mr. Rogers, you would always say that, right? You know, I study television and film. Mr. Rogers always say, look for the helpers, right? Sometimes those helpers have four legs. Sometimes those helpers are golden. Sometimes those helpers are people at the end of that leash that are just giving you a smiling face, and they're just there to give you a hug or just stand there and present. And that that's what really tied me back into this group. So I tell this story, I become a top dog. Now I'm also now deploying, Boston happened. So I ended up going up to Boston and started working with those folks for these teams. And then everything just kind of went from there. And so the video might be done, the story might be out, but that story is still continuing. And to this day, it continues for me. The narrative has not ended. Out here in the Northwest where I am currently, there's a local group that has just got a dog to do this kind of work with, the very first one in the Pacific Northwest. And that dog has now been placed and it's gonna start working in this community. So the narrative continues, the narratives continue. There's no credits, it just keeps going.
1: What is something that has most humbled you so far, knowing the journey continues, what has
2: most humbled you? Having the privilege, the honor and the privilege to be with someone as they're cycling through the what they've just experienced, I mean, I have so many examples of that from the Texas floods through the Las Vegas shootings. Um, being with someone who has lost everything or lost a loved one just now, or maybe they're, maybe they're dying themselves, and to be by their side, to be in that honored and sacred and privileged place, to allow them to be okay in that moment right just to give whatever comfort you can and sometimes this is in the case with the dogs it may just be that they can put their hand on this furry dog and just feel the fur and the warmth sometimes that's that's all they have and it's a privilege and it's a very humbling to to be called into a location like this where it's not it's not all it's listen it's not fun it's not it's it's but it's a calling and it's something that needs to be done and people need to be there and we are so connected in our human experience you know listen to what we're going through with the pandemic right people are dying alone I mean that's like oh my goodness that's like the worst thing you could think of at that right but by having a connection whether that's that's me or, or a nurse or a doc or you know the, the janitor it don't doesn't matter who it is having that connecting moment with a human being that is in the last part of their life is more than humbling. It's, it's life-changing, right, for me to witness it. And it's, it's just a part of a, larger, it's part of a larger conversation. I mean, one of the things that I always think of is that each one of us has a page to write in the book of life, right? We, we have a page in our life. We can write whatever we want to do in our page. Well, that page belongs in a chapter that's our generation, Well, those chapters belong to a giant book called Humanity. So what are you writing in your page? How are you adding to the chapter? How are you adding to humanity? And I find that the humbling part is to be able to witness and be in those spaces to give some semblance of peace and comfort to someone in such a state. There is nothing, I've seen so many faces from Vegas to Boston to Newtown to Texas. I mean, you name it. I've... The faces are the same. The the loss of innocence, the shock, the awe, all of it is there. And and it takes away, it strips away all our barriers and our, you know, what we do for work and how much we make a year and what our career, none of that matters. It, it goes back to those that moment of human connection. That's what's humbling. To witness the human connection, humbling. At that deep of a level, oh my goodness. And to be called into a space, wow.
0: Tired of feeling stuck and ending with the same result? Want to know how Sarah can help you with one-on-one or organizational coaching? Then book your free discovery call at SaraBox.com forward slash contact. Now, back to the show.
1: You've used called and calling for different purposes. Can you speak about what it's like to know this is a calling for you?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think I knew, honestly, people that would know me would say that that's just, well, that's just Ken. I think people would say that. And that, I only say that because my, I, I've always been, you know, I'm not, I'm not an angel, right? But I always try to be on the side of the angels. I always try to be, I always try to look for the good, right? In people and things. I'm, I'm an optimist. And, um, and I always try to shine a light in the dark you know, I have a faith upbringing. I think that's foundational for that. I also feel like my life's journey has taken me through a lot of different lessons that have shown me that by working together, that by lifting one another up and encouraging one another, the best things can happen. I mean, it's true in my career in video and television, working together as a team, having a conviction, you can do anything. And if you're all convicted to the same cause, my goodness, that's when things change. And I feel like that's part of that—that that just settles inside of me. And I feel like part of that too is, you know, kind of related. But I did a, I did another documentary about the Second Company Governor's Horse Guard, which is a, um, which is an organized state militia unit in Connecticut, in Newtown, based in Newtown, and 80 beautiful acres with horses. And I did a documentary for them through that process of living with them through the summer to do that documentary at the end, they said, Ken, we need a public affairs officer. We want you in here to do this kind of work for us. Could you, would you be willing to do that? We'll tell you, we'll train you everywhere else, but we'd like an, you know, we'll bring you an honorary status, whatever it is. Can we get you in here so that you can start telling our story through that experience? And I was never like, wow, that's what I want to do. Right. But through that experience, you know, I've always had a love for our, our armed services My dad was in the army um, and I've always had a love for those that serve and give of themselves selflessly. And so it resonated again and it hit me again. And through that experience, then I learned all these other ways of service and serving. And there's something about it that just connects one thing to the other. So by the time I get around to saying, how do I feel called about it? For the dogs, I knew the moment I saw them on that Sunday morning, I wanna be those people. I wanna be that person on the end of that leash. That's bringing this dog to someone else who's just suffered as much as I have. I want to do that. I want to do that because I feel it, and I know that I can translate it. I'm going to try to translate this into something else because I cannot hold on to this. And that's what I put into my work. And I put that into my work all the time when I'm telling a story like this. Um, my the documentary that I'm consulting for on the homeless. These are real people in need. These aren't. This isn't made up. Documentary work is real life. Unscripted, real life. And so you have another opportunity to be, have the honor and privilege to tell their story. And to a group that's marginalized and maybe even forgotten, they are not forgotten. They are not forgotten. And no one should be forgotten. So that's what I mean by everyone has a voice and they need to be heard. And so I find myself in the documentary work with the homeless to get their story told, to shed the light of humanity upon them, because they also are writing a page in the generation, in the book of humanity. And it's, not, it's nothing that we can take for granted. Where we are, each one of us, where we are as leaders, as followers, don't take that for granted. That's something that's happened. Now, you have a responsibility and a privilege to go forward and correctly do it because you're, you're, you're influencing others. And that, that's a huge responsibility, whether we think of it or not.
1: Ken, do you think that um, you have a way or the folks that you also serve with, regardless of where they're giving back and how they're serving, have a particular way of regenerating what you give out, because that is Mm -hmm. a big, um, when you are present, and I know from talking to people who have dogs that are, you know, therapy dogs, that it takes it out of the dogs. They're exhausted at the end of a period of time, and they sleep, right? They're wiped out. They need downtime but how do you and the other men and women that you volunteer with how do you recoup so that you can go back out and be present
2: yes that's a great question and that is that is fundamental to to mental health about this a mental emotional health you do it by doing it together and you do it by doing it apart now that sounds you know apart you know doesn't sound like it goes together honestly you do it as a team because you you decompress and you debrief after every deployment and you come back and saying how you know you kind of really check in on each other about where they're at what they're doing how they're feeling we walk through we talk through we share we don't no one goes home and says oh now i got to deal with all those emotions now we, we come together and and then we also have moment of processing eternally and that can come through meditation it can come through prayer it can come through being in nature it can come into just just finding the humor that still is in life life is beautiful Life is beautiful, and it's finding that beauty, and that kind of recenters you a little bit too and makes your ability to go out. But listen, it's like any service organization you would think of, or military, police, fire. If something's happened, I'm, I need to be there. You have this call. I need to go. I need to be there. I'm not leaving them behind. And that, that is a powerful motivator. And, and all of us that do this have that internally. We may say, oh, no, 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 that's not good but yet we'll all say, yes, yes, please send me. I was at an event in Chicago. We were at a conference of comfort dogs. Can you imagine a conference of over 300 dogs and people that do this work? Well, they do that every year in Chicago. No matter what that's, what's that like? The dogs are so well-trained. They don't make any noise. It's a beautiful thing. And there's these beautiful animals and you were these beautiful people. Well, here's what happened. We had a dinner, okay? And in the dinner, The leader, you know, the organizer came up on the microphone and said, hey, look, we have a real life scenario. There's a there's a hospital in Chicago. There was a suicide this morning in the hospital by a nurse. And we've been contacted to go to the first shift when they get back to be there when they show up again. Who wants to go? Every single hand raised in that room. We couldn't send 300 teams, but everybody said, send me. I had the privilege to be able to be one of the teams that did go. And so I went there with Maggie, which is Maggie serves out of Newtown, Connecticut. Maggie's a golden retriever, beautiful, serves out of Newtown. I had a chance to go with Maggie, be in that space, be in that place and not knowing, oh my goodness, you don't go into this thinking, oh, I'm going to say this and I'm going to go here and I'm, no, you go into it to be present and you go into it to serve and it comes and you do and you react and you... You work with people, you work with teams you've never worked with. I was with people from Oklahoma and people from Texas. And it doesn't matter. When you're standing there facing that, you're all together facing that. Same thing happened in Boston. Same thing happened in Vegas. It doesn't matter. You are facing facing that together. That's part of how you get through this. But then the other part is you need to really kind of not internalize it so much that you can't function forward, right? And so you have to... You have to kind of separate yourself just a little bit. And I'll tell you a secret, not a secret, but anyone that went to Newtown will tell you this. I, I'm really good friends with all those folks that went to Newtown when, when it happened to us at Sandy Hook. I asked them that question. I said, what did, how did you get back home? Some of you drove here. You were here for days and weeks. How did you get back home? Many of them said we would drive for a few miles, pull over to the side of the road, cry, and then keep driving for a few more miles. Pull over to the side of the road, think about it and then keep going and drive a few more miles. That's how you do it. You just go a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. The benches we have in life are benches for a reason. You can sit down for a second, but that road keeps going. So you need to kind of keep going down that road and find the next bench if you need it. But realize along that way, people are gonna be walking alongside you and they're gonna help, they're gonna move you along and they're gonna help you along. I've never been in a situation where people that didn't want to help, there were helpers were everywhere. Honestly, out of, the, out of nowhere, people show up. You know, you think about 9-11. Here we are in September, you know, an uh, anniversary again. 9-11 coming back around again. Think of how many people said, send me, send me. That's who we are as a people. That's who we are as individuals. And we may think, what can I do? But the truth is, it's not so much what you can do. It, it's what we all do. It's what we all can do. And if you can't do it, you can always say, I'm with you. You go. You have. I'm cheering you on. You have all my support to this. It, it all works.
1: I think we forget how powerful we are as individuals, you know, and think, well, I'm not, I'm not Ken, I don't have a dog, how do I contribute? But truthfully, there are many ways you can contribute just oh. by, like you said, either being encouraging or saying, hey, I've got you covered at home, don't even worry about who you're leaving behind, we've got them, you know, we'll watch your family, you. or whatever. There's just tons of ways yeah. to help if we, um, if we look. The other thing is there are people who will help us if we're willing to receive. You know, it's it's yeah. really easy to say no one's there, but you're not willing to say thank you. Just say thanks, you know? Sure, try to hardest
2: help. Hardest thing to do. Yeah, it's yeah. the hardest thing to do is to receive help.
1: Yeah, I don't know what's up with that, but it's true. It's really hard to, to admit you need it sometimes and to accept it um, and getting over that little hurdle which can seem very tall sometimes, is sometimes the biggest win. But I I wanna ask you, because we kind of teased this a little bit, and I, I wanna make sure you have time to talk about it, but can you tell me more about what creative adaptability is? And really, why do you say that it can take us beyond just thinking about what can be possible to bridging that impossible to possible?
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I've always adapted creative adaptability, adapted creative adaptability as a as a maxim for me, something that centers me in my creative process. All right. So in all the projects that I've worked on, whether it be you know commercials or you know, technical documentaries, nonprofits, wh- whatever it is, it all starts with a generation of ideas. It's all it's all communication. It's a narrative that starts, right? That's where the story starts. So it's creating. It's adapting yourself and what you know and your resources and you know your, your knowledge and your learning. It's adapting all those things to come to a solution for that next challenge. And you can do that by imagining what's possible. So in my world, I'll imagine, I literally, well, sometimes I'll stand there and I'll stare at a blank screen. Well, in my mind's eye, I'm actually seeing the whole production take place. I'm seeing moves, I'm hearing music, I'm seeing light, I'm seeing camera angles, I'm seeing story. And none of it's happening in real life, but I'm seeing it, I'm visioning that and I'm seeing how that would work. Then I translate that and say, wait, so I'm imagining this and it's not even, it doesn't exist, it's nothing. I'm gonna make that real. So I'm gonna adapt everything that I know or every resource that I have that's given or around me or I need to get to create that. I'm gonna create that. And so I adapt what's around me and creatively adapt that to the process. So again, as I said, the narrative starts from the initial dreaming. Well, that, that story doesn't end. It goes through pre-production process where you're then starting to pull together crews and, and equipment and locations and, and concept and scripts are going back and forth and you got a happy client and everything is awesome, right? And then that moves into production days where you're actually out there and you're directing it and you're you're producing it and you're you're making decisions on the fly and you're building a team again with a solid conviction that we're gonna do this and that's where you accomplish it, right? Leading is is a privilege too. So you have to you so you adapt ability to lead, you adapt ability to create. You adapt the ability to see it through. And then I work with an account executive or someone that's with a stakeholder and I make sure that they're happy and they're excited and they're jazzed and they wanna do more of it. And they have, there's an energy there, right? And you end up being this lightning rod of chaos, creative energy that just spins around. And you then as a director or someone in the middle of the process, focus that. You're adapting that ability to do that. Then you come around to post-production and that's where everything's starting to gel together in the edit and everything's being done in voice. Everything is done and packaged and delivered. And then you look back and there's the screen and there it is. And it's kind of like the narration you would say would end there, but it doesn't. It ends for me when the client or the audience or whoever was intended for is now watching that narrative. I like to sit back and watch them watch it. Because to me, that's the closing loop from dreaming it to seeing it happen. Not so much what's behind me, they're watching, but them watching it. That's the conversation. That's the full circle for me. Then that just goes into that chapter and we move on to the next chapter. And of every video I've ever done, about every project I've ever done, it's not just one. There are so many stories to every story. So you have to you have to navigate the world of creativity. And as a creative, as many of you are out there that are watching, my goodness, we think of everything, don't we? Like our hearts are huge, our minds are big and we're like, wow, anything can happen. We just got to kind of, you know, so we hone it down as a, a lightning rod <laughs> and then we create this thing. And then we, we, we are as an artist, you know, so I paint as well, you know? And when people view my art, my painting, that's the end of the painting. That's when people are moved by it or touched by it or go, huh, I never saw it that way before. It's the same person I am when I wake up in the morning and do that 20 minutes or so outside. I look up at nature and I say, huh, I've never seen that before. I never saw it that way before. It's the same conversation. You do that every day. And so you adapt that into your life. You can accomplish anything.
1: What's so interesting to me about that. Well, there's a number of things, but um, I've been pondering lately the whole concept of throwing a baseball. So picture this. I know you picture in your head all the time. So It occurs to me, we talk about speaking to people or telling people our thinking, but it's it's that out where I'm tossing the ball, right? But it doesn't matter if there's nobody there to catch it, right? You're just throwing stuff out after another. I'm talking to Ken about this. Ken may not care. Ken may not be listening because I'm not listening to Ken in the first place, right? I haven't even given him a mitt to catch my ball with. Um, No Mm -hmm. connection between us. We're not heart connected at all. And so I just think about what, which may seem like it's not connected to what you're saying, but when you say it closes that loop, part of it is you imagined what that loop would look like and considered your audience before you ever started. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. For me, that's what I do. Yep.
1: Yeah. So you're imagining
2: your your audience Mm -hmm. and why it serves. that's and yep and then I'm, and then with that i'm able to actually keep my focus it's like planting a banner and knowing that's where i'm going on that hill i'm going to that spot i'm going to that waypoint and i'm imagining my audience's reaction yes and and how i wanted to impact the audience the stories that i'm telling you know whether it be a documentary like the homeless or again with wags and tails my audience was everyone at all ages and i needed to tell that story in a very innocent and childlike way i was seeing that before i even put it to paper before I even started to actually create any content. And then it, and you do that. And any story that you tell from you, if you're the genuine you, if you're giving a speech, if you're giving a keynote speech, you know, as your CEO or whatever, whatever it is, if you're, if you're showing the genuine you, right. And you're letting that come out and you have that passion. And again, conviction for what you're saying and what you believe and how it works and you know that it's good service, you know that it's a good product, and you believe in your team, that's what's gonna translate. So you you have to put yourself in the seat of the audience watching you to say, do I believe me? Am, am I am I really saying what I truly believe? Now, a lot of people, you know, they I call it a one plus one. You have to bring yourself plus yourself sometimes to situations, right? That just takes you out of yourself a little bit. We get caught up in our just ourselves by taking you out of yourself and adding yourself to the mix. I know it sounds kind of funny, but there's a personality that you can then develop in that. And you can then perform, you can then emote, you can then be okay in that moment because you know it's it's you plus you. And what you're bringing is the genuine you. And you're considering your audience. If your audience doesn't see value to what you're saying or they don't connect with you, they're not going to connect with your message. So, it's very important. It's very important, and vital that you connect that to your audience. And then when they do, and they feel it, listen, um, narration, storytelling is an art and a science. It's an art in how we tell this story, but it's a science in how it works in our brains. And so if I told you an amazing story about being on horseback, and you're riding through the field, and you feel the sun falling on your face, and the the tall grass is whipping up against your legs, and then you pull yourself off the horse, and you lean up against that animal and feel him breathing, and the sun falling on your face, and you close your eyes... If you ever had that experience, you've just relived that experience because of the sciences I've touched in your brain, the memories of that experience. And so I've actually engaged you in that. So now you're reliving it. Well, that's the art. That's the science and art of storytelling coming together. I used words, but I used imaginative words and I used the science of of connecting to fire your brain to go, yeah, now take that to any message you have. Take that to any message you want to give your employees or companies or businesses or whatever. Use the same art and science. That's where people like me come in to help craft that message, help connect to your audience, to to help motivate and move. Every story has three points. There's a setup, there's a turn, and there's a transformation. Set up with everything, all the facts and figures and spaces and places, right? The turn is when you take that, all that setup, and you turn it so your audience goes, huh, I never saw it that way before. I'm actually starting to connect with that. The transformation is when your audience goes, I need to do that. I need to get that product. I need to learn about more. I need to, I feel moved in my heart. Transformation. So you can, can, storytelling is what we've been doing as humanity since the day of going around the campfires, right? We tell each other because they didn't know. People didn't share. There wasn't like today, but that doesn't go away. The human heart doesn't change technology changes around us and how we tell that story that stuff is fun for people like me because we get to use all these different technologies but the human heart you have to understand that that's the part that's the part that doesn't change that's what makes us human that's the human experience that's shared and it's a connection that doesn't change and that's where you need to connect your message
1: so on that note ken that just leads me down a whole bunch of other questions but on that note (laughs) i'm going to wrap this particular episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, I wanna tell the listeners that we will have links to Ken and his work. I do want to encourage people to check out Ken's website. There are incredible um, videos on there that you can see a sampling. And I'm gonna tell you, it's just a sampling of what Ken has done, can do. Um, I will also tell you, I haven't told Ken this, But I want Ken back in another um, episode and in another role, because I know there's so much for him to share that's of value for all of us. And Ken, I just can't thank you enough. Um, I love how real you are and the one plus one show up as you plus you, the real heart centered you um, and connect with that.
2: Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that.
0: Been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at SaraBox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.